don't think it's a truck at all. I think we just found a transformer. This is Optimus Primer Button, leader of the auto part junkies. And I'm calling on all auto parts junkies to listen to Nostalgic Radio and Cars every Tuesday at 7 p.m. here on Tan Talk. This is Optimus Primer Button. If you don't tune in, it will be the end of the world. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. This year, the judges of the Cannes Film Festival presented the award Best Film by a New Director to Easy Rider. It's the story of a man who went looking for America and couldn't find it anywhere. Easy Rider stars Peter Fonda. It's not every man that can live off the land, you know. You do your own thing in your own time. You should be proud. Also starring Dennis Hopper, the award-winning director of Easy Rider. Man, look, I gotta get out of here, man. We got things we want to do, man. Like, I, I, I gotta get out of here, man. Co-starring Jack Nicholson. He got to see her see, um, scissor happy, beautify America thing going on around here. They're trying to make everybody look like Yul Brynner. hell of a good country. I don't understand what's going on with it. Everybody got chicken, man. That's what happened. Hey, you got a rope? Hey, mister, can you tell where a man might find a bed? I never really thought of myself as a freak, but I loved a freak. No, man. This is grass. You mean marijuana? Look like a bunch of refugees from a gorilla love in... Oh, I just can't believe. What are they doing here? I don't never know, but I don't think they'll make the parish line. They're not scared of you. They're scared of what you represent to them. Amen. Oh, we represent to them, man, as somebody who needs a haircut. Oh, what you represent to them is freedom. What the hell's wrong with freedom, man? That's what it's all about. Temptation page flies out the door. You follow, find yourself at war. Watch waterfalls of pity roar. You feel to moan, but unlike before, you discover that you just be one more person crying. 
So don't fear when you hear a foreign sound to your ear. It's all right, Ma. I'm only sighing. I'm going for help, I Billy. I got him. I'm gonna get him. We gotta go back. I'm gonna get him. We're ready now. I'm broadcasting. This is Arlen Ness from Dublin, California, motorcycle builder and designer, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google TanTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio in downtown Clearwater. Hey, don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you can listen to our past shows on our podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and Gulfstream Motorsports, and be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Good evening, Bobby. How are you doing? Pretty good. How about you? Wow, it's been a busy week, hasn't it? It has. Wow, last weekend, what did we do? We went to Lake Mirror, we went to the uh, Classic and Antique Car Show, and the Conqueror's over there. But, tell you what, we're going to go to our Speed Culture Event Minute, brought to you by Speed Culture App. Hey, for the latest and greatest in all the cool car shows around the world, around the country, and around the clock, be sure and check out the new Speed Culture App, which will be available. Actually, you can download it now. Go to Google Play Store, right, Bobby? You bet. It'll be on Apple in two weeks, just in time for the launch at SEMA. Yes, we have a great show for you this evening. In fact, we have a very special guest coming on later today that is a representative at SEMA. So, But let's go back to the Speed Culture event. Speed Culture. I've got, I'll get it here. Speed Culture app event minute. Now, some of the stuff that's going on this weekend. The first, the big, the mighty show is the Formula One United States Grand Prix at COTA, Circus of the Americas in Austin, Texas. Next weekend, SEMA 
Yes. First, second, third, fourth. Actually, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere in there. <laughs> that week. <laughs> okay. All right. A couple other things going on. Savannah Speed Week and Hilton Head Classic. That's also going on this weekend. The Daytona Dream Cruise. That's also taking place this weekend. Ocala Pumpkin Run, if you're in the Ocala area, that's this weekend. And Sunday, is it Saturday or Sunday, is the British Car Show in downtown Safety Harbor. I believe Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. Sun- no, but you know no, what? We'll Just to be on the safe side, you can go to Speed Culture app, and you can check out the events page, and you can find out what's going on for all the amazing car shows that are taking place. And of course, you know, this means war. Yeah. And uh, so it's also taking place this weekend in Georgia, and I never get a chance to do this because there's always something coming up, is the annual Mountain Moonshine Festival in Dawsonville, Georgia. Now, you get some pretty serious guys that show up there, some real live moonshiners and some real live moonshining cars. So that's it. That's brought to you by the Speed Culture App, or that is the Speed Culture App Event Minute. I'll get this down straight one of these days. I'm we're practicing this thing. Anyway, we got a little something on the turntable we're going to throw on here for you real quick, and then we're going to be back because we got a guest we'd like to bring on, and this is going to be a really, really interesting show for you because we're going to be talking about some of the stuff that goes on at SEMA. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Here's a little Dick Dale surf music for you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork. 
or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let's see, a few minutes ago we were talking about some of the upcoming car shows and events, and we are talking about the Speed Culture app where you can find all those events. But anyway, what we did this past weekend in Lakeland is we had the uh, Lake Mirror Classic, and Lake Mirror Classic has pretty much evolved into a pretty amazing show. It's primarily a concourse around the lake, but also in downtown is a huge car show. And this year they had an amazing selection of cars there. I mean, there were some fascinating cars. Obviously, you had the normal Corvettes, you had Chevelles, you had Mustangs, you had Camaros, you had all those cars, but they had a really good selection of Panteras this year. They had a lot of uh, reproduction Cobras on there and uh, down there. They had some really cool vintage motorcycles and uh, some other pretty interesting cars. I mean, there's some old Fiat's down there, some foreign cars, some old vintage Mercedes-Benzes and stuff like that. And that's just in the car show area, which was kind of cool. And uh, and some Ferraris and stuff like that. So it was a good mix of cars. And uh, they had a band there and, uh, and playing in the square. So overall, you know, a number of vendors and everybody seemed to be real happy. And it was a fairly, fairly good crowd. On the other hand, down at the concourse, they had some pretty amazing stuff down there. I mean, you'll see some vintage Rolls Royces, some vintage Ferraris, vintage uh, Jaguars, vintage Porsches, Mustangs, Shelbys, all the usual stuff, some Citrons, some, again, some Go-Go Mobiles, all kinds of cool stuff. There were some vintage boats. For a car guy, it's a lot of fun. Some vintage motorcycles, obviously, which they have lined around the uh, the pavilion area. Pretty amazing stuff. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, they had two cars there that were out at Rensport and probably uh, are museum pieces. And one of them was the 917 Porsche that Hurley Haywood drove back in the Can-Am days. And also on hand was his new Brumos-prepared 918 Porsche in Brumos colors, also with the red, white, and blue Brumos livery and the number 59 on it. Another car that was real interesting was a uh, very rare uh, early big tank 63 Corvette race car, which kind of got my attention. Not that I'm a big Corvette fan, but I do like 1963 Corvette split windows. I think they're really, really cool cars, particularly if they were, uh, you know, once upon a time race cars and stuff. So uh, th- that was some pretty cool stuff. Uh, there was um, our friends uh, from uh, Oldessa, and uh, they have a restoration shop up there, and the name escapes me right now, but uh, they brought out uh, a Peerless. Pistorius collectible cars with uh, Brando and... Uh, his lovely wife, Joanne. That's who it was. 
Um, there was another gentleman there that had a beautiful 1940 Lincoln Continental convertible, and I have a weakness for those cars. There was another gentleman there that had a 47, 48, 47, 48 uh, Chrysler four-door sedan. And, you know, that's kind of a normal car, but this car was done so well. It was extremely well-prepared, extremely well-restored. Chrome was bright. The paint, the fit, the finish, everything on the car was really, really cool. And he had it set up kind of like a like a beach picnic kind of car, like a travel car, like a car that would actually go from a hotel, from a resort or something like that, go down to the airport, pick you up, and bring you back to the lodge. It was really, really nice. And this gentleman's name was uh, Robert also. And he had that car at the Festivals of Speed event, and it was a really, really pretty car. Uh, there was a gorgeous downtown, talking about some of the odd cars that were down there, muscle car. One car that caught my attention was a gorgeous 1960 Ford uh, Starliner, and uh, just a good-looking car. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, big bucks. Um, that car was black, black, four-speed with a 428 under the hood or a 427. I'm not quite sure what it was, but it was definitely a big FE motor. But So uh, it was pretty outstanding. So if you get a chance, make sure you put Lake Mere Classic on your calendar for next year. And, again, sponsored by our good friends over there at Haycock Insurance in Lakeland. So uh, for classic car insurance, call Haycock Insurance. Also very important, visit Speed Culture because if you want to know where all the cool stuff is that's going on, this week, next week, the week after, and uh, for the months to come, that's definitely where you're going to find out where all this stuff is. Bobby, what do we got queued up? I think it's time to get our guests on the show. Well, we got a song here by Neil Young. Oh, we got a little Neil Young music. Okay. Johnny Great. Magic. Yeah, let's play this. A little Johnny Magic. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. We will be right back. Don't touch that dial.
This is Bruce Brown. A few years ago, we made a film on surfing called The Endless Summer. We've made a new film about another great sport, motorcycling. You'll see some familiar faces and meet some new ones, like Malcolm Smith, the king of the Sunday riders, and Mert Lowell, a professional racer whose world is fast and sometimes violent. Whether it's the spectacle of professional racing or the joy of a ride in the open country, we found the sport of motorcycling something very special. This is Neil Young. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman has got an amazing set of credentials. But more importantly, he is the Vice President of Vehicle Technology at SEMA. You hear me talking about SEMA all the time. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening John Wawarniak. John, are you there? I am here, Robert. How are you doing, Robert and Bobby? Pretty good. Good, good, good. Well, I know you're a motorcycle fan, so uh, you want to segue into that real quick and talk about uh, some of the cool bikes that you're into? Absolutely. I think uh, what a great opportunity to talk about with the upcoming of the SEMA show in just two weeks. So uh, a lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, I'm really not a car guy. I started off as a bike guy. And to me, it's really the common denominator, whether it's two wheels or four, is that performance. And that's what really excites me and the passion behind the performance. Uh, And that's really what I love. I mean, to me, there's nothing better than the smell of castor bean oil and race gas. I mean, uh, that's perfume. And I'm sure anybody (laughs) Oh, that absolutely loves it. You walk into a Supercross or a stadium filled with race gas smells. I mean, that that's Nirvana right there. There's no doubt about it. And uh, albeit some of that may be going away here in the future, uh, we'll take it while we can, definitely. Well, hopefully with the uh, strong lobbyists that we have at SEMA, you know, Russ Dean and guys like that, hopefully we can preserve our hobby for, for decades to come, I think. Oh, absolutely. Russ is doing a great job leading that effort as our general counsel and uh 
again, being uh, that SEMA is the grassroots of the industry, having that kind of uh, voice in Washington, D.C., and around the world, uh, in every state as well, that's fantastic because SEMA is protecting your right to customize that vehicle and to own those hobbyist vehicles, no doubt about it. Now, how long have you been involved with SEMA? Uh, this is going on my 10th year uh, as part of the staff, but this will be my 27th year at the show. Uh, my first time at the show was 1989, and uh, I was actually part of GM Racing at the time. And I swore I'd never go back because it was all pink wiper blades and things like that sort, but uh, it grew out of racing, and it kind of came back. It, uh, it's kind of waffled a little bit here and there, but, but it's always been true to the sport. And I think it's really come back to the sport through the years, and uh, and particularly where the sport and where the hobbyist and where the entire automotive industry is going to the next generation. Give us a little, um, now, do you get involved with PRI? Oh, absolutely, yeah. PRI uh, was purchased by SEMA a few years ago. So, you know, it's, PRI is the hardcore racing side for the, the business of racing. But there's certainly some uh, crossover there between the SEMA show with our uh, motorsports parts manufacturers and the performance and the racing section. But uh, PRI is devoted directly to the business and the part of racing. Uh, SEMA is also has eight segments that focus on basically whether it's racing, street performance, street rods, but restoration, trucks, mobile electronics, uh, restyling, et cetera. So there's other segments that SEMA is involved with that PRI isn't necessarily uh, a big part of. Now, since SEMA, uh, PRI, excuse me, PRI used to be down here in Florida, at, uh, in Orlando, um, right about December, and now it's been moved uh, to Indianapolis, I guess. So, how, has 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 that impacted PRI to the extent that it's and with SEMA's involvement now, has it gotten bigger and better? Uh, I don't ever want to keep saying bigger because this is what we always strive to make the SEMA show better, okay. as well as PRI. And having the PRI. Uh, team that's led by John Kilroy and his fine folks, have access to the resources of SEMA. That's really what uh, PRI has been focused on to make the show even better. And from a, uh, a member perspective, SEMA member perspective, PRI is the trade show, but uh, there was no need to have two trade shows going on with kind of the same things going on. So the members and the people in the business really appreciate that there's one show they can go on to focus on racing, and that's PRI. Okay. Now, take us back... Uh to your background a little bit, because you had mentioned that uh, you know you're more of a motorcycle guy, not necessarily a car guy, but you got tied into GM Performance. But that basically comes because you come from aerospace. So tell us a little bit about your aerospace background and the correlation and how aerospace has really seriously impacted you know our our, our automotive world. Oh uh, yeah, it's kind of like my wife says. I'm kind of the Forrest Gump of the of the auto industry. I just kind of been different places and different times of history. But uh, I always wanted to be a motocross rider, and uh, I love the. Uh, Introduction there of On Any Sunday, I love that. Thank you. Uh, so I thought I was going to be kind of like the next Brad Lackey or something, one of the guys racing at the time. But I ended up uh, getting hurt in my first race and uh, going to school, et cetera, and then getting really focused into uh, what they call systems thinking, systems engineering. Migrated uh, into the stealth program. They got hold of one of my master's thesis, so uh, I got sucked into the NSA, et cetera, and ended up uh, moving out west and uh, getting onto the B-2 stealth bomber program. And... At about that time, the late 80s or the uh, mid-80s, uh, GM was purchasing Hughes Aircraft at the time because they wanted the, the aerospace process management technology to transfer from aircraft and aerospace into the automotive industry. So I led a group of about 100 engineers from Hughes into General Motors and uh, some bright folks back then, Don Runkle, Herb Fischel, uh, Gary Dickinson. They said, hey, let's use racing as kind of the platform 
to uh, accelerate the transfer of these technologies and processes from aerospace into automotive. So racing was kind of like my platform to bring really cool stuff into automotive, uh, heads-up displays, uh, technology for engine development, uh, uh, in the motorsport safety and science program that we started, all sorts of things that came directly out of aerospace and aircraft right into automotive. John, would you what were the, uh, what would you say the other manufacturers were doing at the time? In other words, let's say like what was was Ford Motor Company involved in any of that? Was Chrysler involved in it? Was GM kind of like the front runner? GM was definitely the front runner with the visions of the, the people that I mentioned. They uh, they were way out on the edge, and uh, there's some of the things that uh, we had like when Roger was running the uh, Roger Penske was running the, with Rick Mears on the team. Uh, remember, Rick put the car into the wall uh, in qualifying. Then he took the car out. We had the show car prepped, and then Rick put it on the pole and won that race. And it was amazing because of some of the technology. We put a heads-up display. We were walking through one of the uh, kind of the technology showcases at Hughes and Marina Del Rey, and uh, Roger and Rick saw a helicopter pilot's helmet that had a heads-up display for targeting, just watching the retina on the eye and focusing on the pilot where he was looking. And Rick said, hey, could you build one of those for my helmet for the Indy 500? And sure enough, we did. And uh, it was things like that that uh, it was it was so cool to be part of that part of the industry because there wasn't anything GM couldn't do. Uh, with Tommy Kendall's car, we put like a 300-degree rearview mirror out of a tank into his, uh, uh, it wasn't the Beretta, I think it was the, uh, uh, the GTP car, the EDS GTP car at the time. So it gave him a huge advantage looking behind him without mirrors with this electrochromatic mirror built inside the vehicle. Really cool stuff. Did that give those racers, I mean, was this stuff that was kind of like uh, accepted at the time, and did it give them much of an advantage over the other, other over their competitors? Oh, it sure did, because just about every time we put something out like that, there was a new rule. You can't have those. <laughs> <laughs> that, did, that's the best advantage. <laughs> do they like use, Roger went to the track and put, uh, put the, you know, the uh, natural aspirated eight-cylinder right back on the line and won the race. I mean, that was great. How much of that technology that you were involved with, that you helped develop back in the day, is actually used today? Oh, gosh, uh, a lot of it, particularly what we're seeing with uh, connected vehicles. Uh, a lot of the electronics, uh, particularly embedded electronics, heads-up displays, as I mentioned, uh, that came out in, like, the uh, 1990s. Uh, Oldsmobile L-Car was the first one to have the heads-up display. Now it's pretty much standard on a Corvette, uh, any high-end car, any performance vehicle where you, you want that uh, ability to kind of keep your eyes focused on the road as opposed to the instruments and not focusing your eyes in two different areas. So things like that that grew directly out of racing into production so fast. And now, they, uh, even though they started off in kind of the, I'll call it the high performance or the luxury vehicles, those technologies have migrated down uh, to just about every car, particularly in safety. Uh, analog brakes, electronic stability control, certainly a lot of the electronics that we see, uh, lane departure warning, adaptive cruise control. Uh, ESC actually came out of uh, aircraft industry before it got adopted by automotive. And another interesting one is the uh, uh, the brakes, the speed brakes you see on, on the cup cars in NASCAR. Those literally came off the idea of an F-16 where we took them off an F-16, you know, they kind of flip up when the car goes sideways to get that air resistance to slow the car down and keep it on the track. Oh, interesting. Okay, that was like around 2000 period time, wasn't it? Like a late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, late 90s, yeah. 90 to 2000 was the big time for it, particularly in the sports medicine and science. A lot of the technologies that were... Uh, taken off the shelf and adapted to automotive. And uh, it really did kind of usher in a new era of technology, but nothing like we're seeing today in automotive, even the aftermarket with SEMA. There's so many 
technology is happening. As a matter of fact, there's a, kind of a poll that about 80% of automotive CEOs believe that their technology will change their business over the next five years. Is it going to happen exponentially? Oh, it already is. Already is happening. I mean, you look back to 2008 when uh, we kind of went through the ringer there. It, it forced 40 to 50 years of pent-up change in the auto industry into basically two years. So now we're getting the benefits of all that change so quickly. And it's good. I think it's good for the industry. There's a there's a phrase that uh, Chris Kirsting, our CEO and president, I think you met Chris. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great story that he and I both use, and it's, uh, it's a quote that says, does... Does the same industry have five years left with all these technologies coming? Uh, you know, where will we be in five years? Well, that quote came directly from 1971, SEMA magazine. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so it kind of goes Jurassic Park on you. If there's a way to be done, SEMA members will find a way to get it done and to survive. And, uh, you know, back in seventy, they were thinking, you know, fuel injection. We're, we're used to carburetors. What's fuel injection going to do to the industry? Oh, my gosh, the sky is falling. Well, SEMA finds a way, and that's what's so cool about SEMA being, you know, kind of the grassroots of the industry. It's pure Americana. SEMA and kind of the Motor City, Detroit, where I'm from, it they really do represent uh, the birthplace. SEMA, the birthplace of American customization and cool. And certainly Detroit and the Motor City, the birthplace of the, the middle class. Certainly the gateway to the middle class. And technology, automotive technology, too. Absolutely, and that's where I see it. And now, you know, albeit some of it's coming from Silicon Valley and some from Hollywood, but the car, you know, Detroit is still the epicenter of automotive engineering around the world. You've got Stuttgart, you've got Nagoya, but Detroit is still up there, and there's some 60,000 engineers uh, around Detroit. You know, they're, they're at the cool breweries and things like that around Detroit now, but uh, nonetheless, it is the next generation of uh, a lot of what I'll call kids that uh, grew up in the digital age that are really making cars fast, cool, smart, and connected. Now, take us through, um, you, you use the term sports medicine and safety. Now, how does, kind of put in perspective to me uh, and to the listeners, sports medicine and racing. In other words, and we, I understand the safety part, but what is the sports medicine, is that, or is that just a general loose term? No, no, that uh, came right out of uh, aerospace. Uh, you think of uh, military doctors, uh, flight surgeons, and things like that. Sports medicine was the term we adopted in the 1990s. Uh, when uh, in, uh, a lot of the drivers were getting hurt, Rick Mears busted up his ankles, then Tommy Kendall busted up his ankles, and uh, the late Gary Dickinson, who was VP of uh, GMRD, uh, called me up at the end of that race. It was at the Watkins Glen in the bus turn. Tommy just really railed right off the road, went through about 30 feet of grass and hit the tires. He went from 160 to zero in about 35 feet. Ooh. So he had massive Gs, 180 Gs, I think it was. We, had, we did not have what we call event data recorders on the vehicles at the time. So anyway, uh, Don Runkle, Herb Fischel, Gary Dickinson said, hey, I'm tired of seeing our drivers hobbling around on crutches, fusing their ankles together. We need to do something about this. So uh, myself, Don Taylor, uh, Dr. John Melvin, who just passed away last year, John Pierce, uh, Dr. Terry Trammell, I don't know if you know Terry. We got together and said, okay, what can we do about this? Uh, First thing was uh, kind of like Indy cars. It was the ablation of the nose to do some energy absorption, again, directly from aerospace. But the biggest advantage was what we call today the black boxes, the event data recorders that record the G-forces of the driver or in motocross, the, the rider, as well as the vehicle itself. And it's, it's not untypical to see like a, when an Indy car or NASCAR backs into a, a wall to see 80 to 150 Gs. That's tremendous. So that's, uh, if you weigh 100 pounds, it's 150 times that. 
it's amazing that uh, you see so many people surviving. But, again, being that it was motorsports medicine, uh, I think you guys know really well that uh, it's a taboo. You don't paint your car green, and you don't talk about safety at the track. And uh, it, it was kind of ignored for many, many years. But when Dale Sr. crashed, it, was, uh, it all changed. The Hans device, the EDRs. Uh, all took off, and uh, we're, so we're seeing a lot more people that are able to continue racing in this great sport and live. Do you think there'll ever come a time when they use G-suits in, uh, in racing or something similar? Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, you know, we saw what happened with open cockpit vehicles and things like that, so you may see something. Uh, you know, there's some things that happen to MotoGP and others that uh, kind of like an inflate suit. So, yeah, some kind of G-suit, inflate suit, uh, uh, you look at some of the helmet uh, technologies that have come along. That it's not just the impact; it's the fit of the helmet and uh, the, the visor, et cetera, and then combination to the Hans device, to the neck device. Uh, motocross doing the same with the Liat, the uh, Alpine Stars bionic neck support system. Uh, a lot of things there. Atlas, there, there's they're happening there, but it takes the medicine, it takes the docs to figure out the science and the physics behind that to make sure that you're not making any of the injuries worse. Uh, because as we you know learned back at the brickyard 100 years ago, a stiff car, you know, hey, look, the car didn't fall apart, but the driver died. Well, you want the car to absorb some of that energy. Well, you want these safety devices, including your helmet, to absorb that energy without it going into you, the driver or the rider. Definitely. Uh, now, you, had, uh, you were kind of instrumental in uh, the development of the Hans device, if I was reading correctly. Our, um, tell us about that. Oh, out of the program, yeah. I mean, Steve Downing uh, and all that whole story there and John Melvin. Uh, again, I was more on the bringing the technology into General Motors, uh, but it was the docs, Terry Trammell, others. Those are the folks that really pulled that forward. And uh, a lot of testing we did back at uh, Wayne State University in Detroit uh, with cadavers and with uh, pigs. Pigs, believe it or not, have a lot of the same physiology of, uh, of a human. So we're putting pigs on a... Uh, test sleds and crashing them and putting cadavers on the test sleds. But it was, it was Dr. John Melvin, Terry Trammell, and others that really pushed the, uh, the science side behind that. But it was the vision of General Motors and the leaders like Gary Dickinson, Herb Fischel, Don Runkle, that really did uh, say, hey, we're going to make this stuff production, and we will save the lives of uh, drivers through the years. And, and it takes time to do something like that because you're changing not so much the sport, you're changing the culture of the sport. And uh, when Ayrton Senna died, I think, again, it was just like uh, when Dale Sr. passed away. It was uh, just a huge catalyst of, hey, I'll take two of those. <laughs> Excellent. Or well, of that. You know, I mean, that's you, you deserve a lot of commendation for that because, I mean, that's one of the things I think, like you said, that keeps a lot of the drivers alive and safe today, and it takes a lot of the uh, the the the... the What's the word I'm looking for? The danger out of the sport, so to speak, you know, and and it's also incentive for new people to kind of get into the sport, and proliferate the sport as well, because it doesn't seem as scary as it used to be. Let exactly. me ju- go ahead. Exactly. Look at uh, Supercross, a uh, great example. You got young riders, a lot of kids, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, just like with on any Sundays. Grew up in BMX, uh, migrate to dirt bikes. Uh, I know you had what a Can Am, right? Yep. <laughs> Pretty cool. So uh, you migrate into that, but uh, you can't. Uh, Keep hurting your athletes. Matter of fact, there's a great uh, quote from John Melvin said, we can't keep killing our athletes. So we can't keep hurting and maiming young athletes because they, can't, they won't go through the program. So you want, to, you want to maintain the sport, make it as safe as you can. There's always going to be an inherent danger. There's no doubt about that. There's just no getting away from that. But uh, people like I failed motorsports and uh, Dr. John Bodner, Dr. Paul Ryman from uh, Asterisk Mobile Medical Center, 
they're doing the great stuff. I mean, they uh, we've got them together with Dr. Terry Trammell and uh, folks like that. So the, that knowledge sharing and best practice sharing between two and four wheels going on, and we are, we're seeing results of that. We, we demonstrate that at the PRI show. There's a group called the International Council of Motorsports, Medicine, and Science that has their annual congress at PRI. And uh, we touch upon it at the Racetrack Business Conference as well with Tim Frost. So we're taking that information out of the textbooks, out of the labs, and out of the hospitals and getting it to race drivers, teams, crews, and people like that. And yeah, and, and that's fantastic. And it appears that because the technology is so advanced, because again, it's exponential, it happens quicker. So from the time that it's de- you're developing in the lab, it's 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 real time. It's for the for the drivers and the athletes and the and the racers to use. Absolutely, and people like Feld Motorsports that see that uh, because it's the sustainability of the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to take care of the sport and the drivers and drivers as best you can in it. And uh, so commend people like that. Look at Feld to doing kind of what General Motors did 30 years ago to to make sure that the sport has has longevity. Now let's jump over to no fear. You coined a couple phrases back in the day, which is uh, <laughs> second place is the first loser. <laughs> and uh, Second place is the first loser. Uh, I want to be as fast as my dad says he was, or the older I get, the faster I was, or the better I was. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of them. Uh, it's kind of cool because no fear was the first to uh, what I call crack the social code. When Mark and Brian Simo got together with me and Boris said and, other guys, we, we came together and we just said, basically, let's take the, the fantasy of sport, which was Nike at the time, and combine it with self-actualization. We we're all racers, uh, motocross mostly, and uh, we said, okay, let's combine the two together and be all that you can be kind of a thing. And it really was, don't let your fear stand in the way of your dreams. So even though it was a T-shirt or a hat or surf trunks, whatever, it really was bigger than that because the, the message was so powerful. Uh, it paved the way, as I said, cracked the social code for uh, brand democracy for th- people and companies like Red Bull, Monster Energy, Rockstar. Uh, the first uh, ESPN X Games was 95, uh, came directly to us at uh, No Fear to help start that. Back then, it was called Extreme Sports, what now we call Action Sports. That whole uh, group or genre of sports uh, moved from stick and ball into action sports, thanks to companies like No Fear. You wrote a uh, article that was in the uh, Harvard Business Review, and it was called "The Business of Winning." Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, it didn't get published by the HBR Harvard Business Review. It got rejected. Really? Which, uh, which was, you know, it bothered me at the time, but uh, nonetheless, uh, my brother printed up a thousand copies, made posters of the ten lessons of winning uh, for companies as well as athletes, and I, pu- I just self-published it. This was long before the internet. This was 1993. And uh, No Fear, we circulated it through No Fear. So, uh, again, before there was any kind of viral platform, if you will, uh, we did it by brute force. We gave it out to a lot of the people we worked with. Uh, I can remember uh, Ivan the Iron Man, uh, Rick Mears, Ricky Johnson, and we just used that as kind of our 10 lessons of winning and focused on that uh, in growing No Fear and shared that with our athletes. And uh, it, it became part of our culture and our DNA. There was uh, something else I was reading, and it was because, you know, you come from, from, from engineering, and then you go over into clothing, and then there was a quote or a question that said, well, how, how were you able to make that transition? And then basically your comment was something to the effect that, you know, system thinking is sort of knowing how to connect one to the other, you know. So 
it's 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 kind of like taking what you know from one and applying it to the other, and the general concept is the same. So go ahead and elaborate on that. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, when I was in graduate school at the University of Illinois, I got sucked into uh, what's called the fatigue and fracture program. So my background is actually how things break and how do you make them so that they're tough, not necessarily just strong, but uh, things like aircraft that have to survive a mission and still uh, and the pilots, et cetera, and the people on board, et cetera. Well, once, when I got into that, it was basically how do you connect things that should be connected, but more importantly, how do you disconnect things that shouldn't be connected? And that is known as systems thinking. And when you look at things as a whole, it pretty much you start visualizing what needs to be grouped, what needs to be ungrouped, and that's basically what aircraft are designed. They're called basically systems of systems. Uh, but an aircraft is nowhere near as complex as a car today. Uh, you take, like, the F-117 fighter, the stealth fighter. It has about, uh, I don't know, 10 to 15 million lines of code, software code in it. Your typical Ford Taurus today has 50 to 100 million lines of software code in it. So it's very different in terms of the systems of systems coming together. So automobiles today and trucks, I mean, they're just, it's amazing. They're, they're works of art. They're, people say, oh, they're computers on wheels. Well, no, they're not. There are a number of computers and now phones, smart products on wheels, that are constantly talking to one another in nanoseconds. And, and that's, uh, that's, a, that's a work of art and engineering. Wow. Now, let's segue into SEMA real quick since we're on that. We're talking about technology. Since you're the president of VIEC Technology, tell us exactly what you do at SEMA and about some of the really outstanding seminars that people could look forward to experiencing once they get to SEMA. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know you've been to SEMA many times, I think. Yep. Uh, it's a, now, SEMA, the show is certainly the flagship. There's no doubt about that. Uh, people Actually, people know the SEMA brand as the show. That's five days out of the year, but 360 days out of the year, SEMA is an association. And at the show, we really highlight what we do as an association as well. So we got the uh, SEMA education seminars, technology, and I'll get to that in a bit. We certainly have the featured vehicle displays. Uh, we've got the SEMA cruise where the vehicles come out so the public can be invited. Uh, something new we call SEMA Ignited, where actually consumers can actually watch the vehicles go out in the SEMA cruise on Friday and go right across the street to the gold lot, and uh, there'll be a consumer-type event with a TV show going on so that some of the consumers can see really what's going on at SEMA and see some of the cool cars. Obviously, there's Ford out front, uh, the GM Proving Ground, uh, all that kind of stuff goes on at the show. But my role is basically to, to help the members understand the technologies that are impacting their business. And some of those technologies will certainly disrupt their businesses, but that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Like I mentioned, you know, the, the quote that Chris and I used from 71, that uh, basically you find a way. So if there is a new opportunity, like perhaps let's say it's electronic stability control, that says if you put uh, these parts on a vehicle, you change the suspension, the brakes, the wheels and tires, you have to demonstrate that the vehicle is still in compliance with the way the manufacturer and the government expect the vehicle to perform. Well, we've developed ways to help our members do that. And that's what's so cool about SEMO because a lot of the members do realize that, uh, hey, some of these technologies could put me out of business, but if I embrace them and understand it and get that uh, set of resources and skill sets through SEMA, then I can actually continue to grow and prosper. And that's really what SEMO's mission is, help our members' businesses grow and prosper. What is some of the highlights? Um, there was something there I was reading. One of the seminars is has to do with self-driving cars, for example. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, uh, I focus basically on what I call four megatrends, uh, and I've done that for the last eight years, and uh, we've come a long way with that. Uh, we typically, on Monday, we focus on what we call vehicle dynamics, and that's basically uh, customizing with confidence and ensuring compliance. 
so that when you're when you're working and you're modifying these vehicles with aftermarket parts and modifications, that the vehicle still does comply with all the federal motor vehicle safety standards. And you know, we kicked that off with experts from around the world. One of the key guys we've got coming in for that uh, session on Monday is Peter Sweatman. He's the director of a new area and a new group of, of a test facility in Ann Arbor, Michigan, called M-City, as in Michigan City. It's a 32-acre test site devoted to connected vehicles. And that will have a tremendous uh, impact on the aftermarket because a lot of the aftermarket safety devices can be uh, fail-safe tested there in an environment where uh, you're not going to hurt anybody. But it's got everything you can think of on a connected vehicle and a connected road and a connected environment. Bridges, uh, the facades, the trees, fake people running around, etc. Bicycles, motorcyclists, trucks, you name it. Uh, if you're ever up in uh, the Motor City area, you definitely need to see M-City. That's, that's cool. So uh, Monday's Vehicle Dynamics, we focus on that. Tuesday's our, our largest session always, and that's focused on the racing and performance. And this year, the future of motorsports. So we got the big guys. We've got Scott Atherton, Jim Campbell from General Motors, Colin Dine from Global Red Bull Global Rallycross, Dennis Michelson. Uh, this is David Parasak's first uh, uh, time on the forum from Ford Performance, and uh, David Wilson from TRD. So the, the audience has told us they love to hear from the experts. And so I'm up there kind of like the Oz. I'm just the guy behind the curtain. You let these guys loose, and they just start telling you where the industry is going. The audience loves that. So Monday, Dynamics. Tuesday is the racing and performance. Wednesday, we take a little different twist of technology, and that's how technology is impacting uh, the business of branding and design of the performance industry. And to do that, I like to go outside the industry sometime. Last year, we had Al Van Noy from Adidas. This year, we've got uh, Troy Lee from Troy Lee Designs, uh, Camilo Pardo, who was uh, the designer for the first Ford GT, and Scott Bowers. Uh, Scott Bowers came from Oakley. He was the right-hand guy for Jim Gennard for like 25 years at Oakley, and uh, and Jim's going to bring his insights. How do you build a brand around performance, particularly performance lifestyle? So a lot of cool stuff, and certainly Bo Bachman and Brandon Bachman from Galpin Autosports uh, will be part of that. And then as you mentioned, uh, the connectivity on uh, on Thursday, we focus on vehicle electronics, and that's really where the, the industry is going from fast and smart to cool and connected. We'll be talking a lot about from companies like NVIDIA, who put the displays in the Tesla. They're putting them into all, a lot of the newer vehicles today. Uh, Ted Cardenas from Pioneer, what they're doing with Android and Apple Play. Uh, lots of cool people on those sessions. I, we even have David Strickland, former NHTSA administrator, who will be telling us where some of these new regulations are going for uh, some of the vehicle-to-vehicle communications that are going to be mandated and made into laws uh, in the near future. What's the impact of that on the SEMA community? So we'll get uh, we'll get a heads up from folks like that, and then some of the new startups like Brand Motion that are actually building cameras into the rearview mirrors, uh, sensors for lane departure warning, and things like that onto the vehicles. Do you think this is going to get to the point where there's just so much technology in the car that it's going to really? I mean, where's this going to affect? How's this going to affect the consumer in terms of costs? You know, because I understand the initial cost, people finance a car or something like that, but let's just say what happens to these used cars? You know, and and and, and the fail rate of a lot of this technology, you know, whether it becomes obsolete or not. What's your take on that? Oh, gosh, I, I don't, it's, it's kind of like the Kano curve. I don't think you can have too much technology in a car. It's, uh, it really comes down to what do you interface with. It's like your computer. You look at the Apple experience or the Apple interface. A lot of technology behind that, but you don't, you're, you don't know about it. It just runs behind it, and you interface in a nice, intuitive way. That's the way the car has evolved. It, 
the technology cannot get in the way and become a distraction. You look at a lot of the kids today, driving is a distraction. They, they want to stay connected, and driving actually gets in the way. So if you can develop some driverless-type, autopilot-type technologies that are intuitive, albeit like the Apple experience, that's the way the technology has to go. And it's kind of like cool. It follows the same curve. That you, know, you can never have enough of that, because, but it still has to be in the background, so to speak. It has to be authentic and real. And, and again, how it interfaces with the, the driver or the passenger, in this case of a car, that's really where the challenges are. It's like a race car. Race car driver is like a pilot. A lot of technology in the race cars. Look at the, how the top technology has evolved there. That doesn't get in the way of them being good drivers. And uh, another analogy from the aerospace and aircraft industry is uh, back in the 80s, 70s, and 80s, uh, the aircraft industry thought there would be no more pilots by now, 2015. They'd all be uh, drones. Well, we found out that you still need that human factor. Yes, there's drones, but there's also pilots. I think that's what we'll see. We'll see driverless vehicles as well as uh, vehicles, you know, traditional vehicles. But I think the coolest factor is we'll see more what I'm going to call the fun button, just like the insane button or the, the uh, button in the Tesla that uh, you, you want that power, flip it off, button says, I'm driving now, and you take control of the vehicle. So that, that's always going to exist, I think, where you can turn all the systems off and drive yourself. Whoa. I don't know. I'm still old school. I still like a handshaker. I still like three pedals, so I don't know. But uh, anyway, John, we're just about up against the clock. Um, I want to thank you very much for taking a few minutes and hanging out with us. I look forward to uh, hanging out with you and meeting you again and seeing you at SEMA. Do you want to go ahead and plug the SEMA uh, website real quick? Absolutely, yeah. SEMA.org. And uh, one of the coolest things, go to the SEMA show. Uh, go to SEMAshow.com. So SEMA.org is the umbrella organization. SEMAshow.com slash app. And you can download the app. So you, once you have that app on your uh, smartphone, you'll be able to, you, you can literally use that thing to guide you through the entire show. Everything that's going on at the show, locations at the show, et cetera. I mean, this being kind of the golden age of new performance, you need something like that app to guide you through something as large and as cool as the SEMA show. Super. All right, John, take care. Hey, I want to thank my special guest, John Wamorniak from SEMA, Vice President of Technology. Don't forget SEMA next month, November. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Be sure and check out our web show. Well, I'll get it here straight. Be sure to check out our check out our radio show every Tuesday night between seven and eight p.m. Don't forget to check out our website, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. By the way, wait a Golf Street Motorsports. That's our website, and Nostalgic Radio and Cars is the podcast. Hopefully, I'll see some of you guys at some of the car shows. Don't forget to check out Speed Culture app. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you ten dollars if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDTF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. Right on to the-